downloadable streaming singles. Our hope with this podcast is to look a little deeper at what influences musicians and see the impact an album, as opposed to a single, can have on an artist's work. Welcome to The Sound Effect. I'm coming out of folk music, and there's a lot of fairly folky stuff in it. And electronic music is very much a sort of a form of folk music, as I've always seen it. When we first started out with computers, you had the machine, you had a programming language, you had a bunch of hardware, the ability to write software. You didn't have a lot of pre-existing stuff that had concepts embodied in it between you and the computer. You had your own ideas. You started with your own ideas. You were only using the computer in the first place because there was something that you wanted to do that had never been done before that you needed it to find a way to do. In other words, it was led by the ideas that you wanted, like the idea of interacting directly with the sound through a logical process. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Sound Effect. Uh, I think we're probably, it's safe to say, Dave, we're dealing this week with probably our most unique record. Um, is that safe to say? Yeah, I, I honestly didn't think something like this would come up Yeah, as, a, as, a, as, someone's, uh, as someone's choice, but I'm happy it did. Oh, I'm ecstatic super, it did. Super unique and uh, was fun to explore with. Uh, yeah. And I actually, I honestly think it might be the album this year I will come back to the most because of the style of music it is, which I play a lot when I'm kind of working uh, in the background. So I'm, I'm kind of excited that this album was in kind of interesting. Like, I think I knew the artist that had existed, but I did. I didn't know the record at all, but I knew of her. And the person we're speaking about here is uh, Lori Spiegel. Um, and for those of you who don't know who Lori Spiegel is, um, she's the album that we're talking about today is the expanded universe. And it is an album of. And I don't know how to explain this day. She may be able to help me up, but ex programmed computerized music in an experimental form it well that is a very technical answer (laughs) to what i'm going to say is oh this is early ambient (laughs) yeah it's early it's certainly ambient but i mean the idea being that she's programming all of this music yeah exactly and yeah so you get in the nuts and bolts of like 
your description. Yeah, this is an early programmed uh, mus- music uh, using synths. Now, this is coming out. Well, released in 1980, but recorded in the 70s, throughout the 70s. Yeah, so synths, analog synths had been around for quite a while by, this, by the time she got her hands on the synth part of it. Uh, you had bands like Yes and Rick Wakeman and Emerson Lake and Palmer who like built their career on these crazy keyboard analog synth sounds. But of course, you know, they, they got, they're, they're coming at it for more uh, a technical proficiency as a player. You know what I mean? So, yeah, they got to a certain point and didn't, to, to me, like, uh, this album kind of made me think about it, like, because at first I was thinking, oh, this must be, like, a late 60s, mid-60s to late 60s album. I'm like, oh, no, it's the late 70s. So you've gone through all that problem. And you've gone, gone through the early experimental it, stage of, of an Eno or someone like that, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or David Bowie, yeah. And David Bowie's in there early, uh, some of the earlier Peter, Gra- Peter Gabriel stuff. And, yeah, it's... Uh, you know those bands got because they they were like the artists like Wakeman and and um, Emerson they they were coming at it from like that more technical like oh this is what I can do I'm just gonna play piano on this and make these crazy sounds with the synths but it they they didn't really evolve they evolved as players and they inspired a lot of people to try this uh, this instrument but they didn't really evolve the instrument. And so is what I was thinking when I'm hearing this, like, oh, this comes out in the late 70s. So this is this is the next evolution. Yeah, she's coming at it. She's a solid mm-hmm. musician in her own right. And but she's coming at it from a feeling as opposed to watch how many notes I can cram into this 17 over 19. Yeah. Time, and I mean, and, and like you said, I mean, everyone you and I have mentioned there are musicians and artists and She's coming at it as much from a half of her is a composer and then the other half of her is like a computer scientist, right? So you've got her trying to make like Appalachian folk music on synthesizers being programmed by keyboards, which is just mind-blowing to think that this is happening. And again, when you see pictures of her, it's hilarious because she's wearing like a pencil skirt in uh, the Bell Laboratories behind a bunch of computers. Like, this is not, you know, uh, you know, Rick Wakeman's stabbing a knife into a keyboard, right? That's right, with, like, lasers and lights shows on it. It's like, no, no, this is the guts. This is the this is where the magic happens. The sausages yeah, are made. This the sausages a- are made, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like yours better. I like your analogy better. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's... and. You know, thinking back to the late 70s, you know, a computer was the size of, well, your house or, you know, Mm -hmm. and and this is what it took to make this computerized music. Now you open up your your Apple, your MacBook, pull up your garage band and within minutes and you can find the sounds, right? And you're within minutes, you have uh, basically what she's doing on this album. And probably even sounding a little better, but it's all, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't put the work in. You're, it's not the gut. It's not the yeah. guts. It's not the programming. This is an early digital digital audio work uh, workstation. She's she's using, which to me, you know, I remember when I first got into uh, MIDI 
the musical musical instrument digital interface for hooking up a drum machine to uh to another drum machine and maybe getting it into a pc that was like reading to me that was just reading hieroglyphics uh i i right didn't quite get it i got it working you know and uh, but and after a while you're like oh thank god it's working i can stop learning on this now i can stop learning and just make something but for her it was the as much as making the music it was a, it was making this program and figuring out how to to make a computer do this yeah and and that's the strange thing right like i love uh there's some great interviews with laurie spiegel that you can find online that we'll we'll definitely try and share with you on social media this week uh but this is someone who's making a lot of experimental music with like an apple II. like this is prototype music right like that's the and what i love is so so often musicians are about not automating right like it's not about automation at all um, yeah. It's about the real kind of connection of that artist. But I like the one quote, one of the documentaries was I automate whatever can be automated to be freer to focus on those aspects of music that can't be automated. The challenge is to figure out which is which. Like what a cool concept that you will just I can program this computer to do this while I can focus on the other stuff. And if you think about that in comparison to what you were just talking about with GarageBand, you hit that like button on GarageBand and it just will play that same rhythm or keyboard beat or whatever for as long as you want it to, right? Because yep. it now you have automated that rhythm and you can do whatever you want. With right. It. It's taken that, After it has, that, right? you know, uh, to her point, I, it, it's taken that job away. Like if you're not a drummer, you just need a beat, right? And, and something to play a piano yeah. over or a guitar over. Yeah. And just. I just need that beat. And so that has now been taken away from you. You don't have to create it. You don't have to call your friend over with a drum set. This is it. And and it reminded me a little bit when I first heard about how she put together the record. I'm a fan of uh, Olafar Darnals, the uh, Icelandic composer. And his 2018 album, uh, Remember, he brought on a computer programmer and he essentially got a bunch of pianos. Uh, and like sort of like the old tiny player pianos from the olden days but he had the keyboard this computer engineer engineer the keyboard so they would just kind of play whatever and at the time it was like is that and, and part of the conversation was is that him playing then or is it the computer program playing then and it really made me when i got to this record it was like wow she was doing this like we were still having this argument in 2018 about Olafur Darnals. She was doing this right. in 1978. Yeah. Uh, so if you put that in context, um, it's still an argument we're having about automation that she thought was a stupid argument back when I was five years oh, old. Yeah. <laughs> and yet here she is. Here we are now still having that same kind of what she would probably consider a silly argument. Right. And. Further to that point, it was like people were throwing that shade at uh, Rick Wakeman and Keith Emerson and all the proggers too. It's just like, oh, that's all just computer music. It's like, no, you still got to hit this thing, and, and yeah, push and Kraftwerk yeah. and, oh, and, yeah, ev- and is... everyone else, right? Yeah. So, like we said, recorded in the Bell Laboratories, which is a very famous laboratory um, owned, I think, now by Nokia, but at one point was owned by Lucid Corporation and, and a bunch of other computer companies over the years. Um, 
I think one of the cooler things is that, <clears throat> much like Chuck Berry a few weeks ago, uh, another artist who is on the gold record that is floating around space, as she did a computer version of Johann Kepler's uh, 1619 score um, for the music of the Spears, which is such an interesting connection there, too. Um, but I think for me, um, it's interesting to listen to it because I, I kept hearing things like Brian Eno obviously come into it for me. But it was also just interesting to think about the technology used here. Uh, and I know you like to kind of geek out on some of that technology, Dave. Uh, but there were parts here that, like you said, it reminded me of prog rock. It reminded me of Eno. Um, the opening was sort of reminiscent of that, like, ARP 2500 synth sound that the Who get on Who's Next, which just, you know, that, that again, I think a lot of those bands from the early 70s embraced. Um you know, I was also reminded a little bit of like Harmonia and Cluster, like those German ambient bands who kind of Brian Eno went and lived with for a short period of time. Uh, it, it, just again, that idea that this is not a musician. Ah, I feel bad because she is a musician. Like she is a musician, yeah, she, but she can play other instruments. You yeah. Know, seen that. We, you know, I, in the, she's playing banjo and guitar and. Yeah. yeah, and part of the New York like avant-garde scene and, and in the funny, 80s. It's funny you stopped there and you were struggling with that because these yeah. days there's tons of people, like a lot of the analog, the synth artists that you know I'll go check out at a club. It's just a guy or a girl with uh, a whole bunch of wires hanging out of a keyboard and their laptop. And well, we saw that we saw that with someone opening for was it Memphis or Stars? Yeah. You and I together years oh, ago, oh, right? Yeah. And we were like, "Was that guy just sitting there with a yeah. keyboard?" Uh, yeah, really? Did we get judge? <laughs> did we get judgy? Did we get judgy? Oh, probably. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, probably. You know, but it, it's nowadays. It's like no, this is make music, and you know, people threw that shade at uh, hip hop and uh, rap in the early days. It's like this isn't music. It's just someone. You stole that drum beat and, and you're talking mm -hmm. over it, you know? Same thing. And well, I'm thinking of the shade we threw on drum machines, right? Like I never did. That, I love them. Yeah, you never did. <laughs> but but again, I think it's because we talked about that that dehumanizing element. And she talks about that in one quote where she talked about we get we took a lot of flack for dehumanizing music, but electronics are an extension of, of us. So it is entirely human. I just think that's such an amazing way to look at the concept yeah. of using a computer as an extension of the human spirit to make music. It's just a tool. You know? Yeah, it's... It, yeah. And how often do you get, like, a philosophical idea about music when you're listening to an artist speak? Yeah. I don't think it happens as much anymore, but when you listen to her speak, you're like, wow. This is, like, the philosophy of technology being put out there artistically it's just an amazing combination of a whole pile of things here that makes for really calming and interesting listen in your notes i'm reading uh the quote the computer was the next generation's version of lsd and the surest surest <laughs> path to enlightenment whoa oh, man <laughs> well, yeah whoa was right right and then it's like it, it, it is funny, right? Like, I grew up a huge Who fan, and I think of, like, Pete Townsend 
saying stuff like that about like the nature of rock and roll or, you know, when he started to use those, uh, th- those keyboards on who's next. Uh, yep. but yet you hear it from her, uh, with no preconceptions of rock and roll. Like, no, I'm trying to be a rock so star and fill a stadium. Roll, right. <laughs> yeah. But yet it, it, it really is her talking about music. What I like it and what I like about this is when I listen to ambient music and I listen to this, I do feel that connection to self. I think that's a reason why like ambient music's connected to things like yoga. Uh, I mean, I think there's a, a, a connection between you, your internal thoughts, being able to just shut your eyes and contemplate your existence while you listen to this ambient music or this that you don't get in other music. Like I don't care how much you love a song. I don't think most people shut their eyes listening to a song and contemplate their own essence. Whereas I think when you listen to ambient music, you get a bit of that. You, you're kind of forced to sit down. I think probably classical music does the right. same, where you're forced to sit down and listen to you're it, right? Pretty, and listen to it. Getting pretty deep. Yeah. And it's funny, like, you go with that. And I, when I listen to ambient, to me, it's just background it's just something mm-hmm. that's going on while I'm doing something else. It's just to fill that, yeah. fill that void. And it is for me oftentimes, I, too. I can't. I'm not the type of person. Very rarely can I just sit there and, and listen to it. Even, you know, this album, I dig it. And I think it's cool. And, you know, the whole history behind it and everything. There's some freaking annoying songs on this album. <laughs> One I was listening to today. <laughs> I was just working away, but again, I don't know how long it had gone on for, and I, and right. I finally, I finally just kind of clued because I was doing something else, I was doing working down in the basement, <laughs> and I finally clued in, and I just kind of went, "God damn, that's annoying." You know what I mean? <laughs> it was uh, Kepler's Kepler's Harmony of the Worlds, and, right? And the the science behind that song is fascinating, and the fact that this was created in the way it was created is fascinating, but God damn, that's an annoying song. So it's, you know, to me, this is uh, just an an evolution and people's, it's like any good music. You see little bits of that Mm -hmm. music go on and do other things, right? Like, uh, you know, ministry gives birth to nine inch nails, gives birth to blah, blah, blah. And same Mm -hmm. thing here. Like she took this, I can hear I can hear this in Nine Inch Nails. I can hear this in Peter Gabriel's earlier stuff, uh, and his work, uh, especially around things like Fairlights and and uh, you know uh, audio workstations to help make his music, what he hears in his head come out. You know, I hear it I, in the you know this is in early '80s stuff, early synth stuff, Depeche Mode, and just the yeah, this is how it uh, it evolves. So uh, I I would say modern day. You know, you didn't really call this ambient, anyways. It's but to me, this is just a uh, a cousin of ambient, and some songs yeah, can, and some experimental songs, yeah, too. Yeah, and some I guess it's probably a well. I think it's probably a bit of I think there's elements of both yeah. there. I mean, I think I think ambient generally is going to come under that. It's funny. That I never use. Too, right? I shy away from using that term experimental so much. Uh, or, well, I remember when the Zoom interview, right? Like he refers to his music yeah. as experimental. Yeah. And then you you think of someone like a Nels Klein, and you go and look at Nels Klein, who's one of the greatest guitar players in the world right now, and you watch his his um, Big Sur footage, 
where it starts with him playing the guitar with like a whisk and it's annoying. You're absolutely right. That word is right because it is annoying for the first or it's scarring or it's jagged for the first couple of minutes. And then you're like, wow, like that's actually what kind of makes it cool because I'm not used to this. Right. And if you go back to that experimental jazz, that was the same thing that experimental jazz musicians were doing. Right. So it was all um, it's all feel. Yeah. It's all about the feedback. Oh, yeah, or or the feedback of Sonic Youth and, you know, being used to punish, oh, to yeah. almost punish listeners at times, right? Or hardcore punk, right? Like that. Or Hendrix. That experiment being used, to, yeah, to really kind of shove music in your face and, and kind of dare you to like it, yeah, dare and, you to try and enjoy this, right? You know, the things that pop into your head, as I've said this before, as you're listening to this and, and you know, we, in our last uh, show, we talked how Chuck Berry, you know, at the end of the 50s, rock and roll was dead. You know, mm-hmm. uh, as far as sales goes, was anybody really doing anything innovative? It took someone learning something from Chuck Berry, uh, Little Richard, etc. And then the next thing you knew, you had this British invasion, invasion, which then influenced the entire world. And you just it just evolves and then gets stale, evolves, gets stale. And that's what I feel that this was. It was just a someone just trying something new from a totally auth here's our word, authentic. Genuine. Genuine. Yeah, genuine authentic genuine, place, right? Yeah. Like just it's it's the the same as outsider music, you know, when it got yeah. when it kinda got popular in early 90s guys like daniel johnson they just come they just Mm -hmm. approach their music from the purest form could barely play really didn't have an idea what they wanted to say they just had to say something and this is in that ilk i would say it's all just outsider music and you can take with it take from it what you want my favorite song, uh, my favorite song on the record was uh, the unquestioned answer. Uh, I just love the title. Oh yeah, <laughs> I just love. I just love the. Uh, I don't know the air of the song, but again, I'm an ambient fan, and I just think that is like a solar. I don't know. I just I love the feeling it gave me as I was listening to it. I don't know really how to explain it. Um, there was none of that beat like I found on like something like Patchwork. There was like an ADHD like popcorn beat to this thing, whereas I felt with the unquestioned answer, it just like hung over me, which I really kind of enveloped me. I think I kind of liked that. So that was my favorite track. It. Uh, yeah, Patchwork was really good, actually. I, I enjoyed that. You know, I'm, you probably think, oh, he'll pick drums. No, I'm not. <laughs> it's a great song. It is, it is actually a really good song. But I'm going to go with Clockworks, mainly just for that mm-hmm. the first two bars of that song is crying out to be sampled by someone. Synth person, band, industrial band, uh, and I've mashup artists. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so good. And it's, it sucks you in, in two bars, you know, Take mm-hmm. that, Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, so to me, 
it was clockworks. Uh, so our guest today is a pretty special one. I was uh, really excited to, to reach out. Uh, we loved, both Dave and I loved his most recent album. So we reached out and to the record company and just said we'd love to have him on the show. And we got an awesome response. So uh, Stephen Ramsey has been a mainstay in sort of Canadian indie rock since back in 2005 when he and his partner uh, Catherine McCandless formed Young Galaxy. Uh, who you might recognize because they are like constantly nominated for the Polaris Prize, it seemed. Um, But they brought a lot of like shoegaze, psychedelic influence to that sort of Canadian indie sound, which made them a little different than a lot of their contemporaries. Uh, Their 13-year career garnered, as I said, six albums, three Polaris Prize nominations. Uh, And then they took a bit of a hiatus, which our guest is going to talk about a little bit today. Uh, and then he ended up meeting, well, not meeting, but uh, working with his friend Jace Lezik, who is from the Be- uh, the Besner Lakes, who are another perennial Polaris nominee. And they took their mutual admiration of, uh, quote unquote, Eno spiritualized and rare electronic gear and uh, decided to start a band called Light Conductor. And their most recent album, Sequence 2, was released in October and is awash in that kind of ambient sound uh, that Fluid Radio has called dreamlike opulence. Love that, love that phrase. So um, here's our interview with uh, Stephen Ramsey from Light Conductor. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, everything's fine. The record's out. Happy about that. Uh, it sounds That's awesome. It sounds awesome. By the way, like there's so <laughs> much. I kind of want to talk about it as well as our album today, but. Uh, oh, yeah. But anyways, congr- in the first place, just congratulations on it. It is uh, really, really good when Tom Thank you. Br- brought it to my attention. It's it's kind of in my wheelhouse of that atmospheric, uh, you know, analog synthy type stuff, which I just love. And we can talk about all that sort of yeah. thing later, too. But yeah, <laughs> it's it's really cool. I love it. I, uh, you know, I, the beauty of a record like this one is that for the people who like this kind of music, they're really going to like it. I think I'm not, I'm not used to doing that. A lot of the music I may have made up to this point has been like trying to do a lot of different things at once. And this is kind of like, if you like this kind of music, you're really going to like this. (laughs) No, it's It's not trying to be more. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I I would, I would disagree with you that there is something special going on there, but again, I don't want to, I don't want to hog the conversation of anything. We can get into that in a bit. I mean, I think probably the first thing is you now have a pretty long resume with some really cool, Canadian bands and with I mean if we go back to uh, probably the band I would dare say you're probably most famous for Young Galaxy you guys Mm -hmm. have had um, there was a whole pile of stuff going on there right I think you kind of got shocked into the the sort of Canadian pop sound but you had like Mm -hmm. some shoegazer elements some experimental elements there and uh, you certainly hear that in your your side project drowsy as well yeah so where where do your influences come from even beyond the record we're going to be talking about today where talk about those influences and how how have they all kind of impacted your music well i mean i kind of it occurred to me that a frustration i've been having in the last like five years of my career in music has been 
that um, I, for all the time I've done this, like 15 years or so of being a musician and putting out records, um, I didn't really have a thing, you know, like a sound. I wasn't known, like a lot of the people that I've worked with or that I'm friends with are kind of known for doing a thing. And I kind of felt like at some point a few years ago, I was like, man, you know, I really should have developed a thing. But lately I've kind of reconciled myself to, to being like, I, I really truly am uh, a musical polyglot in the sense that like um, when, you know, when Napster came along, for instance, and as much as it was vilified amongst musicians and it kind of changed things obviously in a way that made it very hard for there to be a lot of money made for musicians it also completely changed the access you know to any kind of music you wanted and it was at that point where everything just kind of exploded for me musically it was like i was listening to like you know i could listen to anything that i'd heard of 20 years previously and could never get my hands on like a like a nucleus record or like a, like noi or or like you know nigerian funk records from the 70s or or like weird you know ambient stuff or just anything right and 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 i realized that in a way all i really want to be able to do is make this is all I want to do. I want to make all the music. <laughs> I want to make. I want to make every kind, you know, that I love, and I love all these different kinds. Most people, you know, you don't talk to people. I, when I was growing up, I was like a big fan of British music, and I kind of had a thing, right? And it was sort of like, like when I was a teenager, it was like, uh, in my circle of friends, there was a lot of like British music versus American music, and and punk versus indie and and i kind of prescribed to that for a while and then realized at some point it was just like no like every every piece of music is a trapdoor into another kind of musical you know influence or expression i mean even to this day we're still discovering records right like from 30 40 years ago and you're just like how, how have i never heard this and so you know the advent of things like napster the technology like like i'm able to now have this little studio like a one-room studio instead of having to work in a big studio making other people's records for them i can kind of just sit in here all day on my computer and kind of think of all the different ways that i can make all the all the music <laughs> So, so my influence is, you know, that I, I've, I've, I've reconciled the fact that I'm not a guy with a thing. I just am a, a guy, a nomad. I'm a musical nomad. Well, that's healthy. And I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, like I like making drone records. I like making electronic music. I've spent time, you know, like I was a super big fan of like noisy records in the nineties and massive my bloody valentine fan and and like i went to clubs and i and i danced to you know like jeff mills and i you know i did all that all the stuff that you know it was like james murphy talks about in losing my edge or whatever it's like 
I kind of went through all those musical transformations and carry it all with me somewhere. So now it's really just about figuring out how to like make all the different kinds of music I want to make. Uh, so yeah, yeah, like, I don't know, it's a long and exhaustive love affair with music of all kinds.
the next question then becomes if we're looking at this week's record, The Expanding yep. Universe by Laurie Spiegel. Yeah. So this is, I think it's safe to say, both, it, it sort of has this weird moment in history where it is kind of legendary yet also obscure it's like an obscure legend right like i mean this is one of the few songs that's on a gold record floating in space one that's of the it. few artists on a gold record floating in space second by the way uh artist we've had in two weeks who has that a song on that record uh and yet who, yeah but, who did you have last time? truck we had someone do truck berry a couple of weeks ago oh, no, so I, yeah that's, that's so we have that gold record floating around in space that's so funny and yeah. yet, I mean, to she's not a household name in many ways. How do you and and Jace come across this connection for this record together? And how does it influence what you guys now have with Light Conductor? Well, you know, again, I think this is one of those records that had we not been in this kind of new, like the environment we live in, uh, like culturally, I don't think I would have ever heard of this record. It's very possible, right? I would never have heard of this record. You mean and you don't have your own personal copy? You didn't I, have your I own personal copy? <laughs> I don't have a personal copy. The gold record. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, yeah. So, you know, like it was it, it was a record that, that we came across. I mean, both of us, Jason and I also have very similar sort of um, trajectories as fans of music coming through the same kind of love of British indie, uh, things like Prince, hip hop. Uh, and, and we sort of, and you can see the steps like each at each stage, right? Where it was like suddenly German, like the German uh, cosmic music kind of comes into it. And it's like, oh yeah, we found that at the same time. And then it was sort of going into things like Apex Twin and then, and I sort of prog the progression continued, and and this this one, funnily enough, came a, came to our attention between the first record being made, which was actually the first Light Conductor was made quite a few years ago, um, but it didn't come out till 2018. And um, and and between the time we made that one and the and the new one, this record crossed our paths or mine in particular. And I played it for Jason was like, doesn't this sound like light conductor to you off the first record? And he was like, yeah, it really does. And um, so immediately we kind of gravitated to the kind of uh, there's this like minimalist kind of like very obviously um, like there's a constriction to the, to the music itself, right? It's not a completely like bombastic or, or like it, it's not, doesn't have a ton of stuff going on at any given time. And that was kind of our approach. We were very limited in the first record, especially with, with the instrumentation. And so it kind of resonated with us on that level, the, the kind of like, it, it, given that we came from more sort of like, you know, uh, like singer songwriter based music, backgrounds and big bands and it felt really nice to do something constricted and something that that was really had a specific musical palette so there was an appeal to Laurie Spiegel's music immediately that felt familiar um of course at the time for her it was like it was this like incredible groundbreaking um you know technology that they were using 
uh, at the was it Bell Laboratories or whatever is yeah. where she made it. Yeah. And and so kind of coming at it from two different angles, us sort of looking at the modern approach of like you can throw anything you want at this recording if you want uh, and sort of deciding to turn away from that and be really constrictive and and minimal in our approach and using analog gear and very little overdubbing and things like that. And then her coming from this place of being like, I wonder what you can do with this new technology, what kind of music you can make. And I'd read at some point that she'd actually, she's like a big fan of John Fahe, right? And she was trying to kind of make like weird Appalachian folk music <laughs> with the synthesizers. Yeah. Which when you listen to it, actually it starts to make sense, right? Like, even though it doesn't, really initially sound like that so it's really all these connection points you know like through she's looking at it from this really futuristic kind of like well what are the possibilities with making like really soulful machine music and us turning away from the, the sort of full-on kind of approach you can take in a modern studio and sort of looking back at that a little bit and sort of meeting in that place in this in this aesthetic somewhere yeah uh, like Laurie Spiegel's body of work and how yeah. she created it. Like she, it was just a lot of curiosity, right? That's and right. a desire mm -hmm. to see where we go with this. And in music, like as I've gotten into more of the atmospheric quote unquote noise music or mm. whatever have you, uh, the, that seems like a more pure form of music to me. You know, I still love a good rock tune. I still love a good, you know, uh, an artist with an acoustic guitar can still make you go, wow. But there's just something about someone sitting down with analog synths or and production and just going for it with with no premeditated setup. Like I was talking before, the verse, chorus, yeah. verse, chorus. Yeah. And when I listen jam, to this. We're a jam band. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's, it's true. It's we're fish. Whoa, now, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this yeah. is taking a left turn. <laughs> so, uh, but do you feel that when you listen to her this album, like the expanding universe, do you think, man, the freedom and yeah. and the guts just to go for it? You can hear the wonder. There's a bit of that. I mean, obviously, there's a kind of like cosmic quality to that music and that's really kind of what when we talked about doing like conductor we wanted to kind of have that like the feeling that you were taking a trip you know like that it was it was going to be something that would transport you on some level and i think to get to those places that you got to be in the headspace where you're open you know like where you're open to things like the music pulling you along the beauty of like you know a lot of people kind of um had problems with with electronic making music with elect electronics you know in the 80s and 90s because they were like oh it's machine music that's doing it doing it for you but the beauty of it is that um you know it's kind of like like sculpting or like making something out of clay where the it's like you might have a big lump of clay and it's just like you spin the lathe which is like running the gear and then you can mold it using however you're feeling like it's just you 
sort of working with these tones and these frequencies and these things that are being generated. Um, and, and you bring your, you know, for want of a better expression, like your humanity to that. And that's a really powerful interaction, you know, between like you and, and like electricity. <laughs> and, uh, and you can feel that in her music there. You can, I, to me, when I listen to that record and, and I only read about it later, but one of the things I love about the Lori Spiegel record is that it's really, um, it has this soulfulness to it, you know, and, and it feels, uh, like this really, um, almost naive and wondrous kind of exploration, very musical, right? Like she was a very accomplished, uh, like player and she was able to like get the musicality out of it. And so you can really feel that intersection, right? And for us, that was super appealing to be able, because when we first started Light Conductor, we didn't know the first thing. We'd like both come across some synth gear and like didn't really understand the language of MIDI or or how to like sync a machine with another machine. We had no idea. So that was really why we did it was like, well, let's see what we can do when we do this, when we, when, cause we'd come out of this guitar based world sort of, and, uh, and with no drums, right? Like, like what, what happens if we have no drums in the song and, or on the record and which would be, which was unheard of for us. So it was like finding these completely new avenues and really um, hoping that it would still yield something that felt really um like transportative and and human right like and naive naive to a degree like we still like the naivety of what we do and we'll probably try to continue to do that without much premeditation you know naivety can lend itself to that authenticity too like That's every right. every first every first album by a band is a naive album really because it's like, hey, we have no idea what we're doing. It just so happens that's, that someone likes what we're we're doing. That's often that's often the appeal and why a lot of bands have trouble struggle after their first record. I like to I used to call it the Oasis effect. Right. <laughs> like I was a fan. I was a fan. When Oasis came out, they were it was great. They were punching up. You know, they were like scrappy. Like they had no business being there. They were just like poor kind of punks from from manchester and then they immediately got huge and then everything fell apart on them because yeah they were missing that air of naivety it just went away and now now you've got a problem in general with you know people are making music to appeal to the the algorithms that are being presented to them in spotify i mean we get told you know like the last young galaxy record the first song we released <clears throat> was six minutes and 10 seconds long or something and our publicist was like uh this is going to sound crazy but can you somehow just like make the fade out end before six minutes because the algorithm will literally reject the song and you won't get on as many playlists and i was just like oh man here's like, what we're writing so, for you know <laughs> but there's people there's there's kid, a lot of kids a lot of younger musicians i think um come into it with real like ambition and and like uh like fully like really savvy of the technology and and fully ready to just be like i'm gonna like work this algorithm to my benefit and you know 
that's just not how we like to do it. Uh, we like the naivety, you know. Well, you you brought up a pile of things I'm sort of thinking about here, and and like it was a comment that um, Lori uh, Spiegel made where she said there seems to be a focus on like the cathartic subjective experience of music. And I would agree, like, that's what music should be, that cathartic experience. And, and you were joking there about Fish, but, yeah. you know, we were, all three of us, you've obviously been in lots of bands, Dave and I have performed in bands. And I think there's, there is something real and cathartic about when a band is just jamming, when they're just literally ripping on chords for, for forever. And I remember reading about a, a band that you used to play with, Stars, uh, yeah. reading about how the rhythm section would just pound away for hours yes just going and jamming it out right and i think yeah. again that's something i hear in a lot of montreal music um you know yourself besnard lakes uh obviously the two two examples are gonna come to my head uh stars godspeed black emperor yeah. um the deers a lot of those bands have this element of not jamming per se in that sort of traditional fish or grateful dead sense of the word but that idea of experimenting and letting it go and i wonder if there's a cathartic experience there in that moment where you're playing and say wow we've been playing for 45 minutes and it didn't feel like that like that getting lost <laughs> in the music and i know that she talks about that she talks about the importance of that connection to music taking you away mm -hmm. from from this right is there something there when you guys are playing as light conductor that 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 kind of removes oh, yeah. you from from what you would be doing, say maybe in a more traditional band. One hundred percent. Being in this when we record, well, we don't practice before we make records. Like we don't write songs and then perform them. We we record our explorations. So ultimately, um, you know, when we go back through what are often hour or two hour or two hour long jams, we are looking for the moments where it's like, I don't know do, who's doing that. Like, I don't remember that. Do you remember that? It's like, no, I, I mean, I, I think, oh yeah, now I know that part. You're right. But was that you or me? Like, those are the best parts on the records for us. So we, we typically will take, you know, an eight minute chunk or a 10 minute chunk out of out of a much much longer i mean it'd be interesting like the if we ever get to a point in our in the you know light conductor story where where you know there's like all the extra material ever gets released i mean there's like four records worth there's just so much material because all we just played and played and played and and um my i'm a i'm like a i'm a self-taught musician uh so i play by ear and um and so when i joined bands like when i joined stars um i i was i felt really out of my depth as a guitar player um because i didn't have the chops and and a lot of the players in montreal in the montreal scene that i know are wonderful players like they're just amazing musicians and uh so i always felt a bit like um like if i was gonna bring anything to the table it had to be the ability to kind of lose my to be to trans to be in the music enough that i become kind of one with the music and not i'm not just i'm just not simply not a shredder right so i can't i'm not a virtuoso so i so i have to really get immersed 
you know, in the sounds that I'm making. And that's much easier for me as, as when I'm working with synths, I find it's just like, I've become really adept at figuring out how to like make all the synths talk to each other and play off of each other. And it's kind of like, that's my, my best, my greatest contribution. And if I'm in that world of sound um, and I know it's going well, like, like, you know, I get, I get pulled in and, and Jace and I can go there quite easily. That was apparent when we started doing like conductor was like, we didn't have to talk. There was no like, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? It was an instant kind of response to each other um, musically that felt really innate. And that kind of, we, we've been talking about naivety and, and innateness, those kind of things. Like that's really the thing we're looking for is the intuition, right? Just like with Laurie Spiegel's record, it's like you can hear her feeling her way through that, those sound, you know, the the there's that expanding universe track is like almost 30 minutes. And you can just feel her working it out and like working the gear and what what's going to happen if I do this and this and, and, and that's the thing. It's like, it's super innate. And that's, that's what Jason and I uh, feel we have in the, at the core of this project that makes it work is just a really um, it, intuitive understanding of each other musically that allows us to get immersed into it, you know? Well, that's how you end up with a 14 minute song too, right? That's it's right. Just, you just go for it. And that's it. And it's like, you know, that comes out of an hour long song, you know? So it's like, <laughs> Yeah, and it, it is interesting though because we we had this conversation when we interviewed uh, uh, Jason from from the band Actors, and and I sort of talked about geographical making of music, yeah. and 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 listening to like conductor, I I thought at one point, geez, it'd be interesting to see what a Toronto band trying to do this would sound like, right? Because I really <laughs> thought. This is like a band, like it just <laughs> Montreal. This shouts out Montreal. Like to yeah. me, when I'm listening to it, I'm like, like this could have been done in, in Britain or Montreal. Like it's just yeah. something about the there's a bombasticness to Montreal yeah. music that yeah. I just don't think you get. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I love tons of bands from Toronto, I love tons of bands from Vancouver, but yeah. there's just something about that bombasticness of like yeah. we've seen Desnard Lakes uh, a couple of times together. I've seen Young Galaxy, like, yeah. Stars. There's always this like almost symphonic ending to songs that go on and get bigger and bigger. Uh, and it always just, as I was listening mm -hmm. to this, I thought, yeah, I just, I don't know of another band in another city could pull off this record in the same way. It's interesting you bring it up like that because I have, I have real, uh, theories around like I'm from Vancouver originally and I've lived here for 15 years or so and I mean I could never do what I do in Vancouver uh that I do here I could never I could never do it because it's too expensive there's no uh there are no spaces um that you can do it in uh like simply like having to book a studio and like pay hourly rates makes it pretty prohibitive to make an improvised album unless you really feel confident confident that in what you're going to do you know and jace having his own studio and now at this point me having mine has meant that um 
we were able to just kind of experiment a lot. And, and that's very, the thing about Montreal that was always, that made it a very great music city. It's a working class city that was built on a lot of like in industrial, uh, like it was a textile city for a long time. There's a lot of factory spaces. It's obviously getting harder and harder to like find these kind of spaces. Um, but there, there were, and still are quite a few. And so, so a lot of bands can, or musical acts can just get a space and be in it making music. And that's, and that lends itself, I think inherently to this, this kind of like, um, it's like not uptight. There's a lot of like sharing of resources. Uh, there's like, you can kind of dream a little bit, like you can have some ambition, you can be a bit bombastic. You don't, you know, you're not like, it's not a rat race the way I think a lot of see. I mean, I remember going to like a ca cafe in Brooklyn once while we were on tour and it was just like every single table was like a band, clearly a band with the haircuts <laughs> and, the, and their manager gathered around a laptop, every table, you know, like 12 tables of this. And I was just like, oh, my God, like I couldn't imagine being in this environment where it's in your face constantly or sort of like the competition that you're in. And it didn't feel that way here, you know. So we were able to really like and that's another reason why I make lots of different kinds of music is because I was able to experiment a lot and be in different spaces and and take my we take our time, you know everyone we know who's in a band has a space they can go and take their time in. And, and that, yeah, that's huge, right? That's huge. Like, like that's, that's huge. something everybody got away from like in the eighties and stuff. And now mm -hmm. for financial reasons, you can have a kick-ass home studio, right? That's and, it. Uh, you know, you mentioned collaborating, uh, Lori Spiegel must be like, you can do what? You can put it on a, a USB <laughs> stick and send it. You, I mean, you, it was a, you motherfuckers. It was <laughs> like a room, right? Like, I mean, the computer was a room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, even, and her, to me, watching uh, the documentary that uh, Tom shared with me, you know, she's writing the code as she's creating this. <laughs> That's uh, it. And I'm like, first off, I don't, I have nothing to do with code. I have no clue how that, a lot of that works. And, and this would have been code in 1980. So oh 10, like, the, like, yeah, like, there's like a cave level, drawings. There's a level of genius at work in this, oh. which is kind of underplayed a little bit, frankly, because yep. for a lot of reasons, I'm sure partly because she's a woman and because it was electronic music, but there's a lot of things about this record that are just like, it's a, it's a marvel, you know, yeah. like an absolute marvel. And, uh, yeah, but I again, mean, had... it's it's like a typical music story too. Right place, right time, and a little bit of luck. That's it. She got her music on the golden record. It's off in yeah. the space forever. <laughs> you know, she had time to play around, and she got her job at Bell Labs, which is huge. And I was as I was watching the documentary today, I was thinking, I wonder if it was, it just was no big deal that it's like, oh, it's a woman, whatever. And this is nerd stuff, so we don't care who we yeah. hire. You know, if this, yes. you know, as opposed to nowadays, tech is kind of a bro thing, right? That's uh, right. That's you know, right. It's yeah. it's very hard. So it's still very hard for women to break into that and for her to be such a pioneer. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's it's funny. You know, I, I had to, a couple of things you had said about 
where it was from. Like when I first heard it, I thought, well, this must be a BBC production or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then exactly. I, as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, okay, no, she's American. Oh, Bell Labs. Oh, and the Golden Record. Okay, got it. Yes, yeah, so yeah. So ca- it all caught up to me. And then I was thinking, well, this must be like late 60s, you know, because it seems so, yeah. uh, again, like you said, more pioneer like and, and groundbreaking. Like out of time. Yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah. at, at that time, Mo- uh, like the Moog synthesizer had been around for years. And That's you had guys, right. you had like the Proggers, uh, Keith Emerson, Rick Wakeman, those guys developing in the early days. But it's like they stopped. It's like, okay, yeah. here's how we, we know how to play these. We know how to fiddle around with them. And, and they just got to a point where either they were too famous, didn't feel like doing it. They knew how to write, like they were extraordinary musicians. But they just lost that drive and that naivety. And it took someone like her to come in and go, oh, no, no. I can, and you can write code with this now, by the way, guys. You know, and like, isn't this cool? Well, it, I think with the guys like like the prog rockers or whoever, the, the, the initial users of, of synthesizers really wanted to use them like, like keyboards. And when it came to the possibilities of them in terms of like modular or patching or MIDI, they were like, whoa, yeah. man. Like, I can't you take know, that like, on tour, bro. It. I like, like turning the knobs cool and making it do that crazy wow sound, but like, and I'm going to like shred, but, uh, you know, I think, I think when it came to the, the, the real potential of these instruments, which is like how the machines can be, you know, programmed, uh, she was really, I mean, if you listen to the track drums off of this record, it's proto techno, you know, it's, yeah. it's a good seven years ahead. It's very forward thinking. And I'm sure she had no idea, like, you know, she was interested apparently in like at the just African polyrhythmic music. And she was sort of working some of that out, but it sounds straight up like, you know, proto techno and that's the programming, right? Like that's where the programmer in her that, that she, no one else could have done that except her because she could code it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's well, pretty, and you, pretty intense. And well, and again, it doesn't sound dated right now when you listen no. to it, right? Like you, like to believe it's 41 years old is, is shocking. Yeah. And, and you also mentioned like the females. Like, I mean, if you look at like that era of of this like computer programmed pre techno ambient, whatever you want to call it, it's her and like Susanna Cianti. Yeah. Like, the two females are the ones who are at the at the the, the front end of this movement, really, right? With like, that's right. And, and again, obviously, there's people like Brian Eno as well, but they're they're floating there. Yeah. But again, it just. I even love the idea that we have this idea in our head of what a rock star looks like making a record. And yet here she is wearing like, I don't know, a pair of slacks yeah. at a computer yeah. lab. Like it just holding a every- cup of coffee. Like every picture I see of her, she's like she's holding a mug and a pen. She almost has a pen and in a her pen finger. Like she's smoking a cigarette, yeah. right? Like yeah. and she's got this like pen. I'm just like, it's great. It's such like the, here- anti-rock star right yeah and this is here's the thing right because i think that when i think about that time what you're bringing up is really interesting because you think like well delia darbyshire was like a pioneer of electronics and wendy carlos obviously and like there's a few people women that have kind of 
clearly like cropped up in that time and and as like people who really like took it somewhere totally new and i wonder if it's because um there's you know something in the kind of the conditioning of of men versus women that meant that they were willing to take the time to deconstruct this these instruments and make something new with them as opposed to like dominate them with their with like the way a rock star would like come in like and and shred on a synth and be like that's cool but all they would stab it stab it with a knife or you know do do what they set fire to it Mm -hmm. do do what they do to it you know and just be like that's cool and it's like well there's a whole other thing you can learn that's really complicated and cool and they might just be like nope (laughs) and you know but but it maybe there's something to that idea that that there was something in the um sort of like the the lack of pretension that maybe the 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 female artists maybe would have at that point where they were like well i'm just gonna experiment with this and see and not work try to work out some rock and roll fantasy around it because that's clearly not going to be available to me right uh on some level you know so yeah it's um, an interesting idea to think about right like that that role in that yeah 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 maybe like most things you know the guys came along and sexualized it that's it's right. Cool rock and roll, making <laughs> this sense. Dominated it. Yeah. Sexualized it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. do you hear? Colonized it. Co- colonized <laughs> it. Yeah. They colonized the sense. They colonized the sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> now that you've in, in like indulged or not indulged, but uh, totally embraced this with your own band and as a fan mm-hmm. of this album, are you hearing it anywhere else? Like as I was going through it, and I'm like, oh, that could have been nipped from a, a, a nine inch nails album or that sounds like something Alejandro Cortini would do yeah. know, something like that. Do you, do you hear it? In, and do you hear that influence in not just mainstream, but anything? Yeah. I mean, I, I think because it's really uh, so groundbreaking and, and, and open and, and I mean, there are, there are tracks on it. Like we're saying the proto te- techno ish kind of, drums track and then there's another one uh what's it called un unquestioned answer or something Mm -hmm. that sounds like boards of canada uh a little bit or like aphex twin there's it it clearly was sort of like marking out the 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 possibilities around synthesization in a way that obviously got more easy to explore and and more heavily explored later on as synth music got more popular. But um, yeah, for sure. I read somewhere that uh, uh, one of the songs was on like the Hunger Games soundtrack. Yeah, I saw that too. (laughs) (laughs) It was weird, I had no idea. But uh, you know, I mean, I think that's like, like music that's ahead of its time will always kind of end up finding its way into influencing other like things as you you know it's it's an it's inevitable it's it's because it's a a lot of the a lot of the music is relatively experimental and long form like long tracks i mean it just kind of lends itself to any kind of ambient record or electronic record that has that palette of sounds as you say alexander alessandro cortini is a good example where it's just like it's sort of in the dna you know 
That's so what you're hearing. Do you do you have a favorite track on the record? Uh, I love Patchwork, the first track. Uh, I love uh, yeah drums and uh, yeah, and I think the other one, the un, I think it's Unquestioned Answer. I have to confirm the name. Of yeah, the un, the Unquestioned Answer. Yeah. The Unquestioned Answer. Those three are kind of the big ones. Also, like East uh, East River Pipe, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. It's East a little River, bit. Sorry, East River, East River Dawn. Dawn. East, East River Dawn. Dawn. That's the one. Those are kind of my favorites on the record. track to me uh, I, I like I like when they go off for 15 20 minutes and I just don't even have to worry and I can kind of let my brain go into autopilot and that for me is and I kept coming back at points like I'd be listening to that and just go oh what was that and like go yeah. back and pull it back to hear it again and just that I got I got completely lost in that track over and over again it's a huge record. I mean, the record is super oh. long, and, and, and yeah. obviously it's more of a document than it is a, an album. But it, it's like, I mean, I can put it on. The one I that I always sort of just gravitate to when I'm just putting, if I'm making a playlist or something, is Patchwork, just because, as you say, it's a bit more kinetic. It's a little more, it's like some of it uh, is, is a bit dirgier, and some of them sound more like others. Um, the expanding universe, I think, is one. The twenty-eight minute that one's amazing. I mean, if you got twenty-eight minutes to spare, like it, it, it's it's worth. If you if you listen to the first five minutes, it'd be like, yeah, whatever. If you listen to it in its entirety, it's really uh, takes you somewhere. You know, like well, and, and is that something as well? I remember a couple of years ago, uh, a student saying to me, um, kind of, he was a big classical music fan, and he said. The problem is that no one has the concentration to concentrate on classical music. And that's the other thing I love about ambient music is it really forces you. And that's what made me gravitate to you guys when I heard heard you the first time was 
you're forced to listen. Like it's see, it, there's almost like a paradox, right? Because it appears like background music, but you're yeah. forced to pay attention to it and kind of go, wow, what's going on here? That's so mm -hmm. intriguing. Yet I can play it in my classroom when my students are working and they kind of don't notice it's there. Like right. today while they were working, I played your record. I played, oh, yeah. um, I played Lori Spiegel and they are just, they, they're, they're none, it's there floating in the background. But once in a while, you'll just see that kid kind of looking up and going like, what? Yeah. Yeah. What is this? Like what's going on here? And that to me is the cool thing about ambient music. You can choose how you're going to listen to it. But I think like classical music, it also demands when you do really listen to it, it demands that you pay attention, which that's when Tom, you know, that's Tom's fantasy of like, oh, I just inspired a student. I, I, just, I just changed <laughs> I someone's it. life. But all, all they're really doing is texting. Oh, O'Connor's yeah. playing that stuff again. He's playing that weird music again. <laughs> well, and they will even say to me sometimes, "Is what is this?" And I'll say yeah, it, and they'll yeah. go, "Is this music?" Yes. Well, I don't. And then the question always becomes, "Well, is it? Is it what makes music, guys?" Right? But I have a I have a ten year old son, and and it seems he's in grade five, and it just this year it seems that the kids are really like they all are wearing music like the the badge of like you know of your of your age you know the music that you pin to yourself as a 10 like kids are starting to really come online this way where they they all have their their music of this period that and and it's the same artists right like it's very pop oriented and 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 uh and so they all listen to the same kind of music and of course my kids inevitably like are going to be listening to weird shit <laughs> time to time. and uh and they you know they like craft work and stuff it's like you know pretty easy to tell a six-year-old you know or to play like the robots by craft work for a six-year-old and them being like this is amazing and it's like yeah it's a song about robots <laughs> and uh, and you know so he, he would come home, he'd be like, oh, dad, you know, kids think I have weird taste in music. And I, and you know, of course I'm just like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's your badge of honor. Yeah. You know, those kids <laughs> but, don't know what they're talking about. But you know, if I had a teacher, like that was the thing, like if I had a teacher like you when I was a kid, it just would have been like, I mean, all you gotta do is just reach the one or two of them, you know, like that are gonna actually respond to it. Cause inevitably there's gonna be one or two in the crowd somewhere that can like take take it on and and make it their own and well it's, and, uh, it's I, I i was saying that to dave once that uh, there was a student who had me i was playing on the beach the arcade fire owen palette song yeah. from her and one of my students uh was in the next year came back to me and said what was that song you used to play in class it helped me to concentrate and get writing done i can't write without it and i said uh is it this one no and that was brian eno no okay is it this one yeah i played it for her and she literally went oh that's the stuff like and like, <laughs> like her reaction that's was like great. it was a drug i was giving her oh yes that's it and that's i was like that if if arcade fire and owen could be here to hear that like that reaction to that is just is just amazing right and again i think that's what ambient demands of you right like yeah it can it can help you to tap into it's right, insidious, like, right? Yeah. you can do other things with it it's it's just there and it can, seeps into your subconscious 
Yeah, but it also kind of demands you to be yeah. to also think on a higher level, maybe like. Yeah. Like, I think it's interesting that when you look it up on Wikipedia, it connects it to, like, some album in 1967 that's, like, yoga music. Like, so it's this, like, element of enlightenment. And there's a great quote by uh, by Spiegel where she talks about music as this enlightening connection to this world, right? Which is just yeah. powerful. Yeah. And now we've gotten the music being a commodity, like you said, that if it's more than six minutes long, you don't get counted in the algorithms, um, it's it's been so commodified now, right? Yeah. Well, the you know the the drone drone music is like really kind of like uh, ancient music. You know, I mean, it's just like it's part of religious studies, and it's you know there's there's examples of it. Obviously, is it's it's clearly like some kind of deeper instinctual. Like we're into those kind of like endless harmonic frequency type things. And, you know, I mean, Jace and I are both like fans of like trippy music and like, you know, that we, we came out of that. We loved all that stuff growing up of like, like things like uh, Spaceman 3 and Spiritualized, like the bands that really were like, we're gonna, you know, for everyone from the drug takers to the, you know, the ones who just wanted to like, who were just out there kind of freaks. And we just kind of gravitated to that musically because it felt like something, there was something trying to be attained that was kind of transcendent, right? And there's something kind of both like instinctual and ambitious in that, I find. Mm -hmm. and not, so not so, it's not clever. It doesn't have to be clever and it doesn't have to be like uh, calculated or or like, or a symbol of your musical prowess to do it you just have to kind of tap into something that hits you like in the right in the chest you know yeah. like, like a good drone will hit you in a way you know that that you feel and yeah and that's as as someone as i said not a virtuoso player it's like i have to i have to feel it when i'm playing it or it's you know yeah that's that's my thing. So I think we, I think Zune kind of said something very similar yeah. in our episode with him, where he talked about that combination of, you know, uh, his style of music and that sort of shoegazer rock, but combined with the First Nations drum beat has this mm. sort of hypnotizing presence to it, right? That I think drone music does the same thing. Yeah, I'm not like I'm not a particularly like uh, really like religious thinking person but music's my religion obviously like it's not, that's kind of the choice their art in general is maybe the my kind of like closest thing to a religion that i'm going to have in my life and and so those those like the the kind of idea of like hypnotizing or transporting or it's clear in our well, obviously from the everything from the sound the song titles to the <laughs> You know the general atmosphere of what we're doing is really like geared towards that that kind of thing to help people find maybe another state of consciousness in some way like i do believe in that aspect of music i think when you really get hit with something it doesn't even have to be drone music it could be any kind of music that hits you when it hits you it makes you feel uh meaning and 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 belonging you know you feel those things when you're in the music you feel like you're connected and that's that's it that's the thing we're after you know
Thanks to Wadi for letting us use his song In My Heart as our theme song. Thanks to Stephen Ramsey from Light Conductor for joining us this week and bringing us this fantastic album. And most importantly, thanks to you for listening to The Sound Effect. If you enjoyed today's show, please share it on all the socials. Let us know what you think, of course. And remember, there's always a great record out there just waiting to be discovered. So keep listening. <laughs>